Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. But the title for today is, Who's the Greatest? Who's the Greatest? Mark 9, 33 to 37. Who's the Greatest? I'll give you a hint. It's not Muhammad Ali. Not even close. <laughs> In fact, Jesus' answer to this question goes, is so against human thinking that it's going to shock you. I'm just going to warn you, we are now entering the spiritual twilight zone. All right? Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for all those who prepared for this service today, serving and, and preparing for this and praying Thank you for bringing each person here and pray that your spirit would speak to us and touch our hearts. You know what, you, what your purpose for us this morning is and through your word today, we pray that you would accomplish it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 9, 33 to 37, and I'll just read the passage first of all. It's a wild one. When they came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Now let's put this in context. A couple weeks ago when we had uh, church, Jesus had just predicted his death. He prophesied about his death, his resurrection. Just talks about going to die on the cross. And remember the disciples were really upset. Remember we talked about that? They were very sad, upset. But not so upset that they couldn't argue about who's going to take his place as the number one guy, right? Unbelievable, isn't it? This reminds me of something that happened to me once. More than once, actually. But one time, I re really remember this happening. Uh, Kim and I were on a, going on a mission trip. We were in Connecticut. We took our youth group on a mission trip to Mississippi. We had 40 teen kids and adults. And we, I had this old Greyhound bus. And we're getting ready to go down. But, but Kim was pregnant. She was eight months pregnant. We had never had a baby before. And that's our first one. And so the doctors... But I really wanted Kim, you know, to come along, and she really wanted to come because she knows I might not find my way back without her. So uh, the kids called her my brain, even back then. They called her the, the Chuck's brain, all right? So they were, she was afraid about letting me go, and the doctor said, you know what, it's the first one. The first one never comes early. Go on down. You're, it's eight months. You got a month to go. It's not a problem. It's going to be a little hot down there, but it's going to be okay. So they sent us down. But the kids the whole time are praying. All these teenagers, these 40 teenagers are praying, God, let Kim have the baby on this trip because we want to be there. And we, Kim would say, stop praying that way. You know, they had these prayer groups and they would pray for this. And, and uh, it's, I remember it was 4th of July. It was really hot. We're down there on the 4th of July. We're putting roofs on. We're working on this, this church. Uh, and it was a great mission trip. But a couple of girls snuck off during the 4th of July festivities at night. They snuck off to just to be, be, you know, to have some fun, and, and we were in this mob, and, and we got really nervous. We finally found them. They were very naive, and Kim finds them, and Kim is giving them a dressing down. You know, she's really letting them have it, you know, and uh, really giving it to them, and the fireworks are just starting, and uh, they're going off, and here's Kim yelling, and the fireworks are going, and she kept doing this, grabbing her stomach as she's talking, you know, and, and she's like, 
uh, is it the fireworks making my stomach feel funny? And, and, uh, and it, it, wasn't, it was different fireworks starting. She was starting to go into labor. Later on, these girls felt responsible. <laughs> you know, if we hadn't upset her so much, maybe she wouldn't have had the baby right then. But uh, uh, So we go to the hospital. The doctor said, yep, you're going to have the baby, but it's only eight months, which is too early for our hospital. So they sent us to another hospital. They do things differently down uh, in Mississippi, at least a long time ago. And it turned out to be a very traumatic birth. Uh, the baby wanted to come, but he wouldn't come. He was a very stubborn child, wouldn't come out, wouldn't come out. Lots and lots of pain. It was the worst birth camp for sure has ever gone through. Uh, and finally, little baby Ryan comes out, our little rebel, right? Uh, Mississippi, you know, the little rebel they called him. And, uh, and boy, is this prophetic or what? The kid was totally wiped out, totally wiped out by this kid. I said, it was prophetic. Anyway, um, the bus picks us up at the hospital a couple of days later, and that it, with this Greyhound bus pulls up, and they have a car seat strapped into the car seat, and the, the hospital was like, we've never seen a baby picked up by a Greyhound bus, you know? And it's a, the old bus that we it literally had a million miles. The, the church had bought it, and we had this bus. And the kids were so excited. They were just so excited because they got to be there. And they said, we're now his aunts and uncles because we got to be there. And, and uh, the church ended up flying us back. We couldn't even find Jim and Diane. We were on the phone. We couldn't reach them. You know, We couldn't reach anybody. Nobody even knew we had a baby. It was crazy because uh, there's no phones in Mississippi. No, I'm kidding. But there, was, there were no cell phones at this time. You know, and, and we couldn't reach anybody. You know, and it was crazy. And finally, we get a hold of all the family. And they all found out. We got the word out. But the church ends up flying us back. But the, the thing was this, while I was gone, and I come back to the last couple of days of the mission trip, we were there and then we missed a couple of days, and I come back to the last couple of days, I came back to chaos because there was a big fight about who was going to be in control. And I had like five other adults, and they were all, it turns out there was this big two-day battle while we're in the hospital. I'm dealing you know, with excitement and trauma and all this stuff. They're fighting over who's in charge. And they're all, and not much got done because they were so busy fighting. Who's in charge of this and who's in charge of that? And I had to come back and just like kind of referee and, and put things back in order because it was out of control. Crazy. I was like, are you kidding me? After all, we're on a mission trip and look what I mean. But Jesus must have felt the same way, right? I just, he just predicts his death. They're all sad. And then they're fighting about who's number one. It's very similar to what happened to Jesus because it's human nature. It's our human nature, sinful human nature, fallen nature. So he uses this to teach a very important lesson. Let's pick it up, verses 33 and 34 again. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet. You know, they're looking up, looking down, looking around, right? They kept quiet because on the way they had been arguing about who was the greatest. So they're walking down the trails. At this time, they, there were no paved roads. They're walking down the trails, these, you know, trails, Indian file, right? One, one at a time. They don't think Jesus can hear them, but he can. He can hear us, right? And he asks, what are they arguing? And, and they won't tell him because they're ashamed. But he already knew. Look at verse 35 now. He says... Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus sits down. And whenever you see Jesus sitting down in the boat, in a house, somewhere, it's not just he's tired. He's taking a, the position as a Jewish teacher. And what they would do is the teacher, when they would sit down, they would sit down in their seat of authority is what he's doing. And he says something authoritative, but it's something that must have shocked them. It must have rocked them. This had to rock their world because it was complete opposite of what the world 
taught then and teaches now complete opposite of what we're taught to believe or to practice, isn't it? The Jewish culture at this time was very class conscious. Who gets to sit where? You know, they're all jockeying for seats at the weddings and dinner tables and, and all this. Who gets to sit where? And the religious leaders were the worst. The rabbis were the worst. The, the Pharisees were the worst. They, because they were always fighting for positions of, 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 a, of a status. This is what they're always doing. That's why Jesus was, was so different as a servant leader. The Romans were even worse. If you know anything about Roman history, they were all about brutal power. They enslaved the entire world to serve them. That's why they conquered the world, to become their slaves is what they did. But Jesus says, in this culture, to these disciples, he said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last. And this is accomplished by being a servant to all. A servant to all. In fact, in Luke 9.48, a parallel passage, he brings out a little more. He says this, For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. He who is least among you is the greatest. Greatness is determined by servanthood. Servanthood. I mean, what could be more opposite of everything we've ever <laughs> grown up being taught or, or believing or what's practiced in the world, right? But... Greatness is determined by servanthood in God's eyes. But a true servant doesn't care about greatness. They don't care about being great. They just care about serving God and serving his children. And when we have that attitude, God can really use us in a great way. See, it's not about us being great. It's about the great way that God can use us. When we have that attitude, God can use us in a great way. And I was doing this. I was, the person who came to mind to me was Bill Simons. Some of you remember Bill Simons. He passed away a couple years ago. Uh, what, what, a, what a godly guy. But the thing about Bill, whose real name is Dr. William Simons, also Reverend William Simons, but nobody knew that. It was just Bill Simons. He was just such a servant. He helped to start this church. You know, he, when he... In his 80s, he, helped, he was on our leadership support team, helped us start this church. Humble, humble servant. But you would never know. If you went to the Philippines, you'd find out he was a famous guy. Very famous. Uh, he was there for 35 years, retired. After his wife died, he went back again and, and did a lot more ministry. He planted churches right after World War II. He, he actually got marched out of China by the communists. He had to walk out of China with his family and, and ended up in the Philippines where he got polio six months on his back, couldn't move, ended up finally being able to get to walk again. But he, he started planting churches, just not, not, a, not a big ministry, just planting churches. And now because of that ministry, there's hundreds of churches. Last I heard, there were four to 500 churches that had come out about from this ministry. Think about that. Uh, he helped found Faith Academy, which is, you all know, a lot of you know where Faith Academy, they minister to the missionaries' kids, but also a lot of other children. And, and to hear him tell it, he was like the main founder of that. He, he told me a story. I was just out, <laughs> he goes, I was just out parking cars, you know, and, and they voted me to head it up. And then I walked in and I had, to, I had to start this academy. His son, Russ, disputes that. He said, I think he might be exaggerating a little bit there, but, but uh, <laughs> then he ended up helping when he went back. He helped found the, the Asian Theological Seminary. And, and Bob and I were visiting the seminary. And here's Bill's picture on the wall. He was like, you know, one of the first presidents. And he was, you know, key guy there. And it's just, it's just amazing. Just such a, a humble, humble servant. In fact, in the Philippines, when uh, we would mention, they go, oh, now how did you find out about 
the Philippines and coming here, I said, oh, well, Bill Simons was telling us, you know Bill Simons? You've talked to him? You know, they were like so impressed. Like, you know, You've, you talked to him? Well, yeah, a lot. You know, and they were like couldn't believe that. It. it was like talking to the president. Uh, it was just like, he's like so famous. And he was such a humble guy. I remember when he was uh, in his 80s, maybe mid-80s, they invited him to come back to the Philippines again for another big celebration. And, and he was hesitant. He's like, Chuck, I just don't think I'm going to go. And I, and I was talking to him. I said, Bill, why don't you go? They really want you there. They had a, whole, a huge stadium full of people going to celebrate all the different ministries that, that he was part of. And he's like, and I finally got to the bottom. And he's like, I, I don't know if I can handle flying over there because this, you know Bill was very tall and it, those seats are so little and jam packed and 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 it's hard for me to sit that long and he still had a lot of balance problems with the polio effects and everything and he's like I just don't think I can handle that sitting on that little plane and sitting jam packed I go well Bill why don't you fly business class he goes oh no 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 I could never do that and I was like I had to talk him into it. Oh, no, people wouldn't. No, they'd be just be. I go, Bill, you, you, I think they'll understand. You're 85. You can fly business class to the Philippines. You know? And, and he, I finally I had to work him over and talk him into it. He was such a servant. He wouldn't do it. He finally said, okay, if people will support it, he put the word out, and boom, all the money came in instantly. Of course, people didn't care. They were thrilled to you know, support him doing this. But that's the kind of guy he was. When we have that attitude, God can use us in a great way. And that's a man that God used in a great, great way. But those who try for first go to the end of the line. We're last on God's list of usefulness. Because a true leader puts his own needs last. That's why it's called a servant leader, just like Jesus Christ, a servant leader. And the person who never learns to do that, the person who always is all about themselves, and they never learn to serve, or they never learn to submit to others... They're monsters when you put them in charge, right? We become monsters when we're, if we don't learn to submit and serve, we, when we get in charge, we become monsters. That's what we become. I think of my own kids. There's certain kids of mine that I can leave in charge, Kim and I. We're getting ready to go out on a date. Who are we going to have? Oh, is there only this kid? I said, there's four kids. I wouldn't leave any of them in charge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's certain kids we don't. And, and uh, you know, some you can't because if you come home, it's chaos. And they're mean to everybody. And they tease people. And you can probably guess who some of them are. Uh, but others you can leave in charge. And really it comes down to, and this is kind of a, a hint, the way that your kid responds to your authority is the way that they'll probably handle leading other people. Right? And, and the ones that aren't submissive, I can't put in charge because they're really mean to everybody else. It's just, you, it's just kind of a, 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 a rule of thumb there. Now, speaking of kids, he says in verse 36 to 37, He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. He uses a child as an object lesson. And the word, in, the Bible is written, New Testament is written in Greek, but Jesus spoke Aramaic. And, and the word used for a child is the same exact word used for servant in Aramaic. It's the same exact word. So Jesus could have used it completely interchangeably. He did use it interchangeably. And it's no accident. He's connecting dots here. And he gives this a passage that brings it out even more is in Matthew 18. If you want to look at Matthew 18, it brings it out even more. And it gives three child tests, child-proof tests, I'll call them. 
childproofing. Three tests here. And let's, let me read it first of all. Verses 4 and 5. Matthew 18, 4 and 5. Therefore, whoever... Hum this is a parallel passage. brings out a little bit more here. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. And there's a couple childproof tests here. I got three of them here. First of all is the humble test. Using children, the humble test. Are we humble like a child? Why did he use a child? Because in the Jewish culture and in our own culture, a child really has no power. They do what they're told. Just like we should do what we're told. God tells us what to do. We should do it, right? You tell your child to go to bed, they gotta go. You tell them to go to school, they go. Clean your room, do your chores, brush your teeth. They do it. They really have to do what you tell them to. Unless you have an Emily. If you have an Emily, she will tell you why you, you, they shouldn't have, she shouldn't have to do all these things. And, and it started when she was really little. You know, there's certain children that don't quite fit this model here that Jesus used. It started when she's little. I remember she coming to me when she's three or four and said, Dad, who's the boss of our family? And I, I said, well, Mom and I are. Well, well who's the boss, really the boss of, between you two? I well, I mean, mom and I are partners, but I guess I am. I'm the ultimate boss. And she goes, who made you the boss? <laughs> well, the Bible. And I tell her what God said in the Bible, you know, husbands and wives and all that stuff. And I, I God, and, uh, and what was she really after? How do I get to be the boss? That's what she's really after when she's talking to me, right? And she's battled us ever since to be the boss. And she should be a lawyer. And I say to Kim, is she really six? Is she really seven? Is she really eight? Each time she, I mean, is this girl really just eight years old? It's impossible. She should be a lawyer already. But, but most kids are humble and they do what they're told. And, and, and that's what we're supposed to be like. We're supposed to have the humble test, the childproof humble test. Now, the second one is the welcome test. The welcoming test, not just the humble, but you see in the verses there, the welcoming test. The way we welcome children is very important to Jesus. God considers the way that they are treated by us is the way that we are treating him. He actually identifies completely that what we do to them is what we're doing to him. It affects the way that God can use us. It's, children are a servant test for us. How do we treat the little people? How do we treat the little people? How do we treat the children? How do we see them? How do we treat them? Think of our culture. It's a little scary, isn't it? Especially kids. It says a lot. But, but all the little people. Any, and when I say little people, I'm talking about anybody that we have power over. How do we treat those people? I use one example. A waiter or a waitress. How do we treat them? I've had some very interesting conversations with waitresses. And they tell me some pretty, they said, I can tell what somebody's really like by the way that they treat me. Demanding and little tiny tip or no tip at all. And it, 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 it's, it's amazing. It says a lot about us. It's how we treat the little people. And it's not just them, but anybody that's under our power. How do we treat them? The welcoming test. That says a lot about our servant leadership. And in, in the, the second part about this welcoming test, the, the second part with this, the kid test, the, the welcoming, is a servant is welcoming while others are self-centered. See, a servant looks out for the kids, and someone who's not a servant just looks out for themselves. They, a, a servant is welcoming while others are self-centered, and nothing teaches 
servanthood or exposes it like children, right? What is a better test or a teaching tool than children? Kids start out as babies. They're these cute little things, right? But they're demanding. Feed me. Change my diaper. Let me sleep. You know, they're very, hold me. You know, they're demanding. Then they turn into toddlers and, and they want and need a lot of attention, right? They're sponges. Then they up the ladder to their teenage years when parents can just relax because our job is done. Oh, boy. But welcoming children is seen as the ultimate servant test in the teaching tool. This is what Jesus is telling us here. It's the ultimate test and teaching tool for us. How, what we, what, that's what children are all about. That's what they do for us. I, a lot of people say to me, wow, Kim is such a servant. How did she get to be such a servant? Such a servant. Well, 13 children. Well, well, you know, you're constantly giving. You know, it's the ultimate uh, teaching and, and uh, teaching and testing thing is all these children. 13 kids, you know, constant. Kim couldn't, she's had very little time to even breathe or think for many, many years. In fact, I remember when we went on our 25th wedding anniversary, uh, Paul and Grandma sent us away, said, we'll watch the kids, great grandparents, right? We'll watch the kids, send us on a trip to St. something. I can't remember now, it's a blur. But uh, we, we go away on to the island and uh, Kim, we get there, and Tim fell asleep. Rip Van Winkle. I woke her up at the end of the trip. I said, Kim, time to go home. <laughs> it was almost like that. It was almost like that. Uh, the first time she, she went to sleep at 8 o'clock, woke up. 14 hours later, woke up. And I, and I said, she's like, why did you wake me up? I go, you look like you were tired. You know? Next day, 14 hours again. Next day, 14 hours again. You know? And uh, it was got to be so funny. I, I have it on video. I, uh, in the morning, I would get up at you know, 6 o'clock, you know, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning and go do my thing and have all this fun. And there was this, these iguanas there, these big iguanas. And I picked one out and I called it Little Kim. Because yeah, I, so, I said, hi, little Kim, because Big Kim was sleeping. And I have on the video, you know, Kim was sleeping. You know, I had to have another substitute, Kim. She didn't like the video, but the kids thought it was hysterical. But anyway, but exhausting. She was exhausted, but that, that, the, the kids, is, 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 it, it's a testing tool. It's a teaching tool. And it's not just kids. It could be anybody in their life that drink, is, you know, can drain us and we have to give a lot of energy into them. This is how God works in our life to teach us how to be servants. One more child test. One more child test back in chapter 18, Matthew 18, back up to verse 3. This is a different kind of test here. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. We, if we want to become a Christian, if we want to hope to enter the kingdom of heaven here on earth and live in heaven someday with God as our Father, we have to become like a child. And what is he talking about? You put all the verses together. It's that childlike faith. We have to be like a child. We have to have that childlike faith to enter the kingdom of heaven. A child trusts their parent. A father trusts the father, what, what he says, even more than their own view. Even though they think something's this, if you tell them it's something else, they believe it. They're very trusting. And they, and they ask a lot of questions, but their questions don't, don't mean they don't, they never question our love. They ask a lot of questions, but they never question a parent's love when they're little. And, and, and then even in a dangerous situation, what do they do? You say, take my hand. They grab the hand. They're scared. They, they, they trust us and they look to us. They depend on us. And we all must have that same attitude of faith. We have to put away our own human thinking 
our own pride, our own self-will. We have to turn away from that. We have to reach out for God's hand and trust in him. And that we must all become like little children to enter the kingdom of God. A lot of people are going to go to hell because they, they know better than God. They know better than God. God's offered this beautiful way out, this humble way out of putting your faith in Jesus. No, we're going to work my way and I'm good enough. I don't need that. That doesn't make any sense. Why should I have to do that? I can come up with a better way. I don't even need that God. I can come up with another God. I can come up with a better God than this God. Invent a new Jesus. Invent a God. People are doing it all the time in our country, aren't they? It's that human pride. But God has made a way out. We have to trust him and put our trust in his son Jesus in the way that he solved our problem. Wasn't Rome's brutal power? Wasn't Jewish religious rituals? It was Jesus, the Messianic Jew, who died on a cross in our place. And if we'll put our faith in him, our trust in him, we can have life. We have to become like little children. That's why in John 3, he says, you must be born again. In John 3, let me read it to you. John 3, verse 3, starting out. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, talking to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Talk to a lot of people who say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm just not a born-again Christian. I don't want to be, like, fanatical and crazy. Well, guess what? Jesus says, and if you're not born again, you're not a Christian. We must become like little children and be born again. And Nicodemus says, how? How can that be? John 3, 16, Jesus answered, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? We must trust God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. He came back from the dead to prove he is the Son of God, to prove he died for our sin. That's the proof. And, and we, so that we could become children of God if we believe in Jesus, put our faith and trust in him, and give our life to him. Have, are you born again? The Bible says you must. Jesus says you must be born again. If we're already Christians, how are we doing on these other tests, these other child-proofing tests? Are we humble? Are we welcoming? Humble, I did a little math thing. Humble plus welcoming equals serving. That's how, you, how we know if we're serving, if we're humble and welcoming. It's a whole new radical way to look at life. The way to be first is to be last. The way to be last is to be a servant of all. And Jesus' example for us is a child. Submission and humility. It's completely opposite of the world. Completely. Forget Roman and Israel. It's completely the opposite in our culture. The world says if, if others are serving you, you're great, right? If others are serving you, you're great. Jesus says, no, if you're serving others, you're great. It's completely opposite. Look at New Hope Solberry. This is where we are. The culture all around us, 
Some people have moved away and called me back and said, I can't believe how different it is where I am now. It's so different. The culture there, the here, the culture, it's all about status and money and power, right? So that's where we live. This is, this is what, we're, that's what we're facing. But that's why we can really stand out. That's why we can really stand out here if we live as servants. It's not only the opposite of our culture, but it's the opposite of our human nature. What's our first impulse? Our first impulse. Selfish. <laughs> me. How does this affect me? You hear something. Oh, we need help with something. You know, how does it affect me? I mean, really, isn't that how we're wired? The sinful nature, it's all about me. I know it is for me. I have my first impulse. How does it affect me? Then i got to pray through it. Okay, maybe I should be thinking a different way. Right? But that's, that's our first impulse. But the secret to contentment, Jesus says, happiness, the world calls it, the Bible calls it contentment, much, much deeper. The secret is to serve. That's the secret. The most miserable people I know on earth are self-centered. They're selfish, they're self-centered, and they're self-serving. And they're the most miserable people. Think, think of the most miserable people, person you know. Hopefully it's not you. Hopefully you're not married to that person. But think of the most miserable person you know. My guess is they're selfish, self-serving, self-focused, right? I know when I'm ornery. I find every once in a while I get ornery. I'm kidding. I get a lot. Uh, when I'm ornery, usually I, as I'm thinking about it and praying about it, it's because I've become self-focused. My eyes are on me. I'm thinking about me. What do I want? What do, you know, it's all about me. It's all about me. <laughs> it can happen to churches, too. Churches can become inward, focused, and fighting. Some of you have been part of churches like that, right? Fighting and division and conflict. And, and that's why I've loved being at New Hope Community Church. I know we could turn into this very quickly. We're constantly praying about that and trying not to let it happen. It's need the Holy Spirit's help and mercy and grace. But, but this church has been such a joy for me. I've been in, involved in a lot of churches. The reason it's been a joy is because there are so many servants here. So many servants. It's unbelievable. I'm not even going to start down the list because it's, it's all of you. It's just everybody has a, such a servant attitude. There's so many things I don't even have to think about asking people to do because they're already doing them for each other. It's unbelievable. It's, it's really shocking. And that's, what, that's what's made this ministry such a joy. It's because you guys are servants. Are we seen as a servant? How do people see us? Are we a servant? I'm just going to close with this little illustration. I've been watching the N NBA playoffs is starting now, and they've been running in our house. Some people are into that. Uh, and, uh, you know, who are the really great basketball players? What, I'm not talking about who's the big scorer or who's got the big mouth or who's the big bragger. Who, who is really considered the great basketball players? Who are they? The ones who make their teams better. They make their teams better. Sure, there's scorers who score a lot of points, and some of the top scorers who are famous, famous, uh, you, you, they make all the headlines. But if, if you talk to their teammates, you ever watch some of these documentaries, they, their teammates hate them. They hate them. They can't stand them. They're big shots, they got big contract, and everybody's, oh, I want to be like this person by their sneaker. But you talk to their teammates, they can't stand them. Most of the big scorers, they can't stand them. The real test isn't how does the public view us. 
Because we always look good in public, right? But how do our teammates see us? How do the people that are closest to us see us? How do our families see us? How do people who work with us, people who go to schools, people that know us well, how do they see us? That's the real test. And in the NBA, this year, finally, we're seeing probably Steph Curry is probably going to get the MVP. Probably. We don't know for sure, but most likely he's going to get the MVP. Yes, this guy can score. He can score a lot fast. But you know what he's known for? He's known for being great because he helps his team win by helping his teammates succeed. I was watching a game the other day. He was on fire. I mean, on fire. Anything he threw up could have gone. He scored 45 points, but he could have had 60 or 70. He was on fire. You know what he started doing? Passing. Passing. And one of his teammates said... I've been in a slump lately. And Stefan knew that. And he wanted to get me going. And sure enough, he got this guy hot. The guy starts making all these baskets. It changes this guy. And it made the team better. Are we a real MVP to our team? Could God really use us? How is God calling us to serve? Who is he calling us to serve? Maybe it's our family, husband, wife, kids, parents. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school with a teacher or a team or a classmate. Maybe it's a really difficult person. Nothing like a test, huh? <laughs> what, what tests us or teaches us more than God calling us to serve a really difficult person? It's not fun, but <laughs> it's effective. A verse I want to encourage you to memorize, take-home assignment here. Philippians 2.3. Memorized a long time ago. I've never quite lived it, but I'm going to one day. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. In the Greek there, when it says better than yourselves, it literally means worthy of better treatment than yourselves. You might not be better at basketball than you, but better, worthy of better treatment. That's a powerful verse. If you're looking for one to memorize, start with that one. And the second assignment is this, is the child test. Every time you see a kid, which is a lot in my house, but every time you see a kid... I want you to remember the three tests. The entering, have I entered the kingdom of heaven? The humbling, am I humble like that child? And welcoming, am I welcoming to the little people? And I came up with these, I'll try to make it a word, H-E-W, it's best I could do, hue. <laughs> you know, the, the, the hue test. The hue test. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? As we go to this time of prayer, it's a hard one, isn't it? It's a daily surrender, it's a constant battle. It goes against everything in our human nature. It goes against everything in our culture. 
But this is what Jesus is calling us to. To fight for the back of the line. Instead of fighting for the front, to fight for the back. So that he can use us in a great way. How is God speaking to us? Maybe you've never entered the kingdom of heaven. That's the first step, the first child test that you have to face is becoming like a child and entering the kingdom of heaven. And that can only happen if we are born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? His death on the cross, his resurrection, his taking away of our sins, his making us children of God. Have we ever put our faith in Jesus? You can do that right now. It all comes down to, will you humble yourself like a little child and put your trust in God by putting your faith in Jesus? Will you surrender your life to him and get true happiness, true contentment, true fulfillment, true purpose? Through Jesus Christ. Just say, God, I, I want to turn away from my old life, my life of sin, my life of rebellion, the garbage in my life. I, I repent of that. I ask you to forgive me. put my faith in your son Jesus who died for me who rose again from the dead for me I put my faith in him to forgive me and I'm going to follow him I give my life to your son Jesus If you've prayed that prayer and given your life to Jesus, you've just been born again. You're a brand new creation in Christ. You're a whole new person. Your life will never be the same. But you're also a little baby still, and it's important that you grow spiritually. So let somebody know. Give out a cry. <laughs> Let somebody know that you've given your life to Jesus. You can tell me, tell me on the way out, fill out the card, send me a text, email, tell a family member, a friend, tell, let somebody know so we can be excited. Babies are exciting. Tell, so we can be excited, but also to help you grow. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ already, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? 
what attitude in our heart needs to change. Maybe it's a humbling or a welcoming attitude. Maybe it's a whole different focus, taking our eyes off of inward and focus them outward. Looking for people that God is calling us to serve and to touch them with the love of Jesus Christ. Who is God laying on your heart right now, that person that he's put on your heart, convicting us of showing the love of Christ to this person? Maybe it's somebody very close to us that we've gotten lazy about serving and, and God is telling us keep serving, keep giving, keep loving, keep putting them first. Father, this is a really, really hard teaching. And it's something that we never quite perfect. But I pray that you would help us to make progress with this. Open our eyes to those who need serving all around us. We pray for your mercy and grace to do this in Jesus' name.